This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 96. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's episode, Lessons from the Front Lines. If you're hit with an early summary judgment motion before you've taken all of your depositions, then do this immediately. Hey everybody, I hope you're staying busy, avoiding random viruses, and doing exceptionally well in your depositions. This is a Lessons from the Front Lines episode. As you know, these kinds of episodes shine a spotlight on a brand new decision from around the country that specifically deals with a deposition-related issue. Because these episodes in particular involve cases that are still pending in the court system, you should keep that in mind. The rulings that we discuss may be modified, withdrawn, appealed, or otherwise subject to change. Today, we're going to look at a deposition-related decision that revolves around a rule of procedure in federal court and in most state courts that allows you, when you are caught off guard by a prematurely filed summary judgment motion, to ask the court to hold off on a ruling until you've finished all of your depositions. It's the tool and the rule you must use to persuade a court to either defer a ruling or to simply deny the motion without prejudice to be reconsidered or refiled later. Defending a dispositive motion on the merits when you're not finished with your key depositions is of course a very risky proposition. So you'll use this rule to buy more time until all of your critical depositions are behind you. The case in the spotlight today is Koppel, K-O-E-P-P-E-L, versus Hartford Accident and Indemnity Company. And the ruling from that case uh, that led to this episode was issued just five days ago on June 17, 2022. Now, in that case, the judge had granted partial summary judgment on one of the plaintiff's claims. In papers asking the court to reconsider that ruling, the plaintiff asked the judge to take into account the fact that important depositions had not yet been taken at the time of the ruling. And I presume the message to the judge was really intended to be, look, this case is still pending and discovery is still underway and we're going to have more deposition testimony to provide you. Well, the federal judge said in effect, no, I will not reconsider my partial grant of summary judgment because you're now telling me that you have upcoming depositions that may have been important after I've already ruled. The judge specifically said that the plaintiff did not take the proper steps to ensure the consideration of those depositions by filing a motion asking the judge to hold off on summary judgment until the depositions were taken. So where did this argument first surface? Well, it was in a reply in support of a motion for reconsideration of the summary judgment. And the reply argued the following, quote, in order to prevent a manifest injustice In addition to the submission of a satisfactory proof of loss, this honorable court should also consider that Mr. Koppel's treating physician's depositions and a scheduled discovery conference are all scheduled in the upcoming months of June, July, and August of 2022, while the trial of this case isn't scheduled until November 7, 2022, end quote. Now that filing, the reply, coming after summary judgment had already been granted, still did not make any reference to Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 56D, 
which is the rule that allows you to ask a judge to hold off until you finish your depositions. So the judge says the plaintiff here never asked the court to continue, deny, or defer defendant's partial summary judgment motion until discovery was completed. So the court concluded its order in part by saying that because the plaintiff did not take the proper steps to ensure consideration of the depositions, the court would not consider them on the plaintiff's motion for reconsideration. So let's talk about the rule and what the cases tell us about how to effectively use this provision to give you more time to complete depositions in the face of an unexpected summary judgment motion. Most states have the same or similar rule, and you'll typically find this provision embedded somewhere in the main summary judgment rule. So it's an excellent tool, but you've got to act quickly. And you've also got to know what you need to say in the motion to delay consideration of the summary judgment motion. There are very definitely right and wrong ways to draft a 56D motion or its state equivalent. By the way, I think we've got 18 cases in the show notes for this episode. So if you face this issue, go right to our show notes and work through those cases. They're an outstanding resource and they include decisions from around the country and include cases from a number of federal appellate courts. Further into this episode, I'll also tell you about one of the cases where you can find a truly world-class example of a winning 56D motion. Also, I should mention again, and you've heard me say this before, not all sites that host podcasts will display the entire show notes for a given episode, especially if the notes are a bit longer like they are for this one. So if you don't see 18 cases in the show notes, wherever you're looking at them, uh, click through to the podcast uh, homepage for this show and you'll see everything you need there. All right, let's jump right in. The, the legal standard that you're going to consider is in Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 56D. And as I've said, uh, most state rules of procedure contain either identical or nearly identical language. So it really doesn't matter for our purposes today whether you are in state or federal court. Rule 56D is titled when facts are unavailable to the non-movement. And it reads as follows. If a non-movement shows by affidavit or declaration that for specified reasons, it cannot present facts essential to justify its opposition, the court may, one, defer considering the motion or deny it. That's the summary judgment motion. Or two, allow time to obtain affidavits or declarations or to take discovery or three, issue any other appropriate order. Now, why do you have to act quickly when you get hit with a surprise motion for summary judgment? The answer is because uh, Rule 56 and most, if not all, state court summary judgment rules do not require that any discovery take place before summary judgment can be granted. So if you can't adequately defend against such a motion whenever it's filed, Rule 56D, or the state equivalent, is going to be your remedy. That's from the ruling that we're focusing on in this episode. So there's no automatic grace period, no safe harbor period, that you have for conducting discovery before you can be hit with a summary judgment motion. In most jurisdictions, summary judgment motions can be filed immediately. Now, there are due process issues if a court rules on summary judgment 
before you've had a fair opportunity. That's the Simintubo case in the show notes. But based on the cases and depending, of course, on the issues or the complexity of your case, the possibility of a summary judgment motion after discovery has been available for something in the range of about six months is something that you need to anticipate. That six-month time frame is where we see courts, based on our research, starting to tilt against allowing you additional time unless you can show due diligence in conducting discovery up to the point that the summary judgment motion was filed. The Hodgen case from the Fourth Circuit in 2018 makes this point. It isn't, the court says, how much time you have left, but whether you've had enough time already. So if you're several months into the discovery period in your case, you want to at least start being mindful of possible early summary judgment motions, especially if the depositions, key depositions, even if not all of them, have been taken. All right, let's talk about some pointers if you're going to need to ask a court to defer a ruling or deny a summary judgment motion without prejudice. First, of course, look at the rule. You've got to have an affidavit or a declaration, the equivalent of an affidavit, accompanying your motion. And you must outline the rules why you cannot present facts essential to support opposition to summary judgment at this point. You'll also need to ask for time for your depositions and of course, any other discovery that you feel you might need. In most cases though, applying this rule, the missing discovery is in fact depositions. So once you receive a summary judgment motion, while substantial discovery remains, move very quickly to file your 56D motion because many courts have criticized lawyers that didn't act immediately. You'll see that in the uh, laborers pension fund case in the show notes. There the lawyers waited, according to the court, uh, four months after the summary judgment motion was filed to ask for more time under 56D. And after waiting four months, what did the lawyers there then do? They filed their 56D motion by incorporating it into the response in opposition to summary judgment. No, don't do that. By that time, the dispositive motion is ripe for review. And in that case, the laborer's pension fund case, what do you think the court said? Court said, no, we're not going to delay uh, the ruling. The, the papers are all now before us. Same thing in the Stroh diecast case in the show notes. There the lawyers filed again, a combination response in opposition to summary judgment. So the opposition papers and the 56D motion all ruled into one. In both cases, the courts denied the request for more time as simply having been filed too late. Now there's no specific deadline set by Rule 56D or the state equivalents for filing that kind of motion, but I can tell you from the research that the courts take a very dim view of 56D motions when they're filed at the last possible moment. So don't do that. Don't wait and don't file a combo motion, a 56D slash summary judgment opposition. At that point, your judge has everything that he or she needs to rule on the motion and you're going to have a problem. All right, when you make your Rule 56D application, it's good to think about it as a preview of your, what will be your opposition papers 
to summary judgment. You've got to show the judge in your motion, in your application, that you can make credible arguments. And you've got to lay out your discovery plan, what's coming, what you want and what you say you need uh, before the judge rules so that the court can see that you have legitimate discovery you can point to with specificity that will help you defeat summary judgment. Now, here's what not to do. Don't argue. That, just, don't just say there's a lot of time left in the discovery phase. You're going to get bit if you do that. There's nothing again in the summary judgment rule that says that these things can't be filed early. And the case law is clear that the fact that there's a lot of time left is not a basis to delay summary judgment. So it's not how much time you have left, it's what you've done with the time that you've had so far. So in your motion, you must precisely identify what you've done so far, what you now have in the way of information, what it tells us about your position, and what you need, how it will tip the balance in your favor if the court allows you more time to get the discovery you've identified. A generic statement that you intend to look for evidence to support your claims will get you into trouble. That's the InterVarsity Christian case in the show notes. So it can't just be based on your hope that you will find something. That's the laborer's pension fund case. You can't just say something generic like that you hope to assert fraud or misconduct or that you hope to be able to show it. That's not a specific fact. So hopes or hunches about what might be out there that you don't have yet will not save you. All right, I mentioned that I would point you to an excellent example of a 56D motion. You'll find that in the Ocean Garden Products case in the show note. Outstanding motion drafted uh, by the litigant there, very well crafted, lengthy, goes into case law um, in an excellent way, contains lots of facts, specific affidavits, and numerous attachments. That is a model for your research files. And in the show notes, I think I've indicated uh, the pacer.gov docket number where you'll find uh, the motion that was filed in that case, which was granted. Very, very well done. Some excellent lawyers worked on that one. Now, what will the court consider when it gets your 56D motion? From the Papineau decision in the show notes, the factors that a court may consider in deciding whether to grant or deny your motion include the following. One, when you learned of the issue that you now say needs more discovery. Number two, whether the discovery that you now have outlined that you say you would like to conduct before the judge uh, rules on summary judgment will in fact change the potential ruling. Three, how long the discovery phase has been open. Four, whether you've been diligent or dilatory. And five, whether the party that filed the motion against you obstructed discovery in an important way that may explain why you're not where you need to be right now. Another factor, how much time has passed from the opening of the discovery phase to the date that the dispositive motion was filed against you? Very generally speaking, based on our research, if, if it's been three months or less, uh, since discovery opened at the time the dispositive motion is filed, the odds of your 56D motion being granted are very high without question. As I mentioned earlier, there's a legitimate due process issue if a court rules on summary judgment 
without a reasonable opportunity to conduct discovery. So one of the questions will be, did you have an opportunity to conduct essential discovery? That's the Hodgin case. What did you do from the moment discovery opened until the moment that you filed your 56D motion? Have you conducted discovery? Did you make good use of the time? What remains to be done? And why will that tip the balance in your favor on summary judgment? What witnesses do you need to depose and why? What will each of them add? What documents do you need? What are they going to show? How will they make a difference on summary judgment? How will you get the discovery? Do you need more depositions? Of who? Do you need more documents? What are they and where will you get them from? And I know what you're thinking right now, please, no more questions. But these drive the point home that you've got to be very, very specific in your motion. So just a few more. I know what you're thinking. My head hurts, please stop. But these are critical questions that you've got to address in your motion. The courts want to know if you're just fishing for a claim, if you don't really have evidence that you can point to that will support your opposition. So they want you to be able to show exactly what you need and want to know if you can show that it exists, that that evidence is out there as opposed to a hypothetical belief about what you might be able to find. And they're going to want to know exactly why you can't respond right now. Now, what do you need to be concerned about when you file your motion? You need to be concerned that your explanation why you need more time isn't specific enough. This is a critical point made by many of the judges who denied these motions, that the motions just didn't really do a good job of explaining why more time is needed. I think one of the problems with respect to motions like these that are denied is that they are frequently filed without reference to the rule. I suspect there are some lawyers who intuitively know, of course, that what they need is more time, but they're not aware because they haven't read the rule that there's an actual rule that addresses this point and a ton of case law that tells you exactly how to do it. So that's a critical problem and it explains in many, many situations, according to the reported decisions, why these motions are being denied because they're just not specific enough. Here's another thing you need to be concerned about when you file this motion. You need to be concerned that your original discovery deadline, the one that's several months away perhaps, is going to be shortened. So if you say in your motion that you need three depositions, you need witness A, B, and C, the court might just shrink your discovery deadline to the next 30 or 60 days. We've seen that in some of the cases. You also need to be concerned that the discovery plan you lay out to justify deferral of the motion might be all that you get. If you say you need three depositions and specific documents to defeat summary judgment, you might just well get those three depositions and those documents and nothing else. If you say you just need a copy of an employee handbook or a particular manual, that might be all the court allows you to obtain. Why? Because that's what you said you needed to defeat summary judgment. All right, a couple of other tips on this. Uh, ask the court alternatively and simultaneously with your 56D motion for an extension of time in which to respond to the pending dispositive motion until you get a ruling on your 56D motion. You can't presume the court will allow it just because you filed your 56D motion. So in a way, you've got to triple track this thing. You've got to first file 
a motion for enlargement of time to respond to the pending dispositive motion in which you will explain to the judge that you will be filing shortly your 56D motion. Then you need to put together a very tight 56D motion and file it, and then begin working on your summary judgment response and be prepared to file that as well. All right, let's take it from the other side. Let's suppose that you're the party that filed the dispositive motion and you've just been hit with your targets uh, Rule 5060 motion asking the court to allow them more time to respond to your motion. Question one, is it is it wise generically to file your summary judgment motion early? Well, different topic for a different seminar. There are a thousand reasons for doing it and a thousand reasons for waiting until the traditional deadline, which is once discovery closes. Does the case law tell us that there's a downside to moving for summary judgment early? Not really. At worst, uh, the motions are likely to be deferred if they're too clearly too premature or denied without prejudice when a non-moving party seeks more time under the rule. You may, of course, however, uh, mildly annoy your judge by forcing consideration or at least attention to a dispositive motion that seems to have been obviously filed too early. Now, is there a tactical benefit to moving for summary judgment earlier than normal? Again, really off topic as it relates to this podcast, which is focused exclusively on deposition strategies and tactics. But in the context of a Rule 56D motion, filing an early summary judgment motion might have the side benefit of forcing your adversary to inadvertently self-limit their remaining discovery in order to persuade the judge to hold off on a ruling. All right, what are the arguments to make if you are seeking to defeat a Rule 56D motion? Well, the first and most obvious one is that the movement has already had a reasonable time to conduct essential discovery, whether they use that time or not. Again, what's a reasonable time? Well, it depends on the complexity of the case, but as it pertains to depositions and in the context of case law on 56D motions, three to six months, ballpark. Next point to make as an adjunct to that is that the party that filed the motion hasn't taken advantage of the time that has already passed. They haven't taken any depositions, haven't discussed taking any, haven't served any discovery. If applicable, you could also argue that the case involves some kind of narrow legal issue for which additional discovery would make no difference whatsoever. You can argue that the 56D motion falls short of what the rules require, and they frequently do. Argue that there's no affidavit or declaration attached. Argue that it doesn't outline essential facts, just theories, that it needs to gather the opposition. Argue that the motion doesn't explain why the uh, party filing the motion hasn't already conducted essential discovery. Why haven't they done it already? It doesn't explain why the additional information would make any difference on summary judgment. It simply argues that there's more time to do what they need, so they should be allowed to do it. That's almost always a losing argument by a party that files a 56D motion. You can also argue that even when the motion for summary judgment was filed, if they waited for some period of time before they sought the deferral, that the party didn't act quickly enough to file their motion or even conduct other discovery. Now, if the judge denies the motion for more time, if you filed it 
and your trial judge says no, what standard will an appellate court use to determine whether the judge should have allowed it? All of the cases that we found uh, say that the appellate standard for review is abuse of discretion. What does that mean? It means that whoever loses the ruling before the trial judge is probably going to lose the argument on appeal unless there is a truly striking error, such as the granting of summary judgment within weeks or within a few months after the filing of the case. So that abuse of discretion standard tells us that we've got to be ready, we've got to make maximal use of our discovery time, and we've got to be ready to put together a powerful motion if we're going to file a 5060 motion in order for it to be granted because the appeals court in most cases will not save us. All right, here's one last observation that we thought we would share with you. We were trying to figure out uh, how courts tend to rule on these motions. We wanted to know, are they typically granted, typically denied, 50-50? So we constructed a very tight search in a legal database looking solely at outcomes of 56D motions. And in the search, we found about 1,300 cases, 1,312 cases, where courts had granted or denied these motions. Of those, in 485 of them, the court granted the motion to delay consideration of summary judgment. But in 827 of them, the court denied the motion to delay consideration. So as a very crude gauge in our research, and we did try to come up with a great search phrase for this, but as a rough gauge, we found that courts denied motions to further delay the case almost twice as often as they allowed it. The moral of the story, map out your plan early and get things rolling quickly and create a paper trail if needed of your efforts to make good use of your discovery phase throughout. All right, fascinating topic. And we've laid out the battlefield for you and told you where the mines are planted to kind of help you safely make your way to where you need to go. That's it for today. As always, we very much appreciate your precious and very limited time. So we try to make these episodes as actionable as possible, always with the actual case citations and parentheticals in the show notes so that you can grab those and get your research underway. In return, you'll often hear me ask you to please leave a five-star rating and a positive review, if you would, uh, as a way of saying thank you back to the production staff. And I'd also encourage you in your review, not only to tell us what you like about the podcast, but to also consider leaving your own tips, strategies, tactics, or insights about the topic that we've covered, because other listeners will also find those comments very helpful. And that's what this podcast is all about. Thank you again for your time, and we'll talk to you again soon.